Do we love anything except what is beautiful? What then is a beautiful thing? What is beauty? What is it that attracts us and wins us to the things we love? Unless there were grace and beauty in them, they could in no way move us. From the Confessions of St. Augustine. The second reading of today's Mass is a mere three verses, but for the purpose of today's homily, I'd like to narrow that down to verses 15 and 16 of the fourth chapter of the Epistles to the Hebrews. Verse 15 begins, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been similarly tested in every way, yet without sin. Now our lectionary says tested, but the term here is really pressured or tempted. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews is telling us that Christ the Lord in his humanity felt the pull of temptation to every sin in every way. Not in some matters, in all, he felt the pull of temptation, yet without sin. The incarnate second person of the most blessed trinity felt the pull of sin in every way. I don't know about you, but that's a humbling and a comforting idea. Though without giving in to his temptations, our Lord has experienced the immense tug of all the various temptations that we individually feel. And some of us face temptations different than others, but Christ the Lord felt them all and overcame them all. Thus, writes the author to the letter of the Hebrews, he is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And knowing this, let's take a moment to consider temptation itself. And so for this, we're going to return to that passage that I just read for you from Confessions. Again, Augustine writes, Do we love anything except what is beautiful? Unless there were grace and beauty in them, they could in no way move us. In every desire, both pure and those which are temptations to sin, the driving motive is always love. It has to be. Love for something good, something graceful, something beautiful. Love of a thing worth having. Otherwise, it could not be desirable. So the root of all our temptations to sin is ultimately a desire for a good, a perverted and a skewed concept of a good, something that is less than the perfect goodness of God, but a good nonetheless. The person tempted to sin is ultimately lacking something he desires, or rather is lacking something which is fulfilling. There's a hunger for that which will satisfy the longing of the heart. And so man, in his weakness and imprudent manner, reaches out to the quick fix. He's aided by the enemy, the father of lies, who presents the sinful act as the fulfilling option, but ultimately an option which leaves us still hungry, more hungry, perhaps, because our desire has not been satisfied, but now is ravenous starving for the good thing that we require. And thus, St. Augustine, reflecting further on his early life of sin, writes, I sought something to love, for I was in love with love. There was a hunger within me from a lack of that inner food which is yourself, my God. This is, of course, the answer to how our Lord was able to combat every temptation. The hunger of his human nature was always fed by the presence of his heavenly Father, who is the principle of goodness itself 
and the only true fulfillment of the heart. For our purposes, therefore, we must reflect on our own temptations and ask ourselves, what is at the root of our longings? What is the good desired in the sin of lust, for example? Is there an evil in intimacy? No, of course not. Christ himself shared intimacy with the apostles, even more with St. John and his most blessed mother. The perverted longing for intimacy, then, is what we call lust, a desire that, if fulfilled, leaves us empty. Face on the screen, the unnamed person on the street, the one-time hookup, empty, unfulfilled. It lacks true intimacy, a sharing of the heart. And examples can be given, of course, for all the other capital sins, but the point is made. There is a longing in our temptation for something which ultimately is not evil. The longing is for that thing which will truly satisfy us. But until we can name that thing, we are destined to continually seek the lesser. Now, it's easy to guess the Christian answer. Of course, you know that I'll say that the thing that we truly long for is God. But, you may ask, if that's so, and I know that I truly long for God, why do I still sin? Why do I give in to temptation? Because, truth be told, you do not long for God. Your soul longs for him, but your heart is untrained, or rather is trained by sin to seek sin. And that's the aggravating part of the process, especially for those who are serious about overcoming their temptations. We have to retrain the heart. And to do this, we have to invest ourselves in both light and severe measures as they are necessary. So a few weeks ago, I spoke to you about avoiding the near occasion of sin. And this is where that fits in. The first part of our retraining is to remove these near occasions, to recognize them and to eradicate them, point for point. But we cannot leave the heart famished. It does no good to remove the sin if we are not willing to give the heart something else to feed off of. And perhaps that's a crude statement. But for as long as we're permitted to endure this earthly life, our humanity requires sustenance. Just as each of us require food and air and water, the heart needs to be fed. But we can choose how to feed it. So remove the near occasion of sin and present God. Train your heart with prayer, with daily prayer. Situate yourself before the crucifix and the holy image that you have in your house. Or better yet, come to the church or the adoration chapel and place yourself before our Lord in his Eucharistic presence. Not a minute is wasted in this presence. Now, it may appear fruitless at first, but we must train the heart to desire this time, to require this time of prayer. And words are not necessary. Aim for 15 minutes at first. Try to focus on the cross or the tabernacle. You're going to be distracted. That's okay. As soon as you realize it, refocus yourself. Do this again and again and again. Keep doing this until the time you have set for yourself is past. Be intentional about keeping this time, and you will gradually retrain the heart. So that's two things. Remove the irritation of sin and learn to pray. The third is to accept your limitations. The Lord is greatly pleased by our efforts to grow in love of him, to root out sin in our lives. But when we fall, and we will fall again and again, it's far more pleasing to him that we simply pick ourselves back up and keep going 
than to persist and feel ashamed of our sin. Blessed Jordan of Saxony writes in one of his letters, You will fight with prudence if you set out to subdue your carnal nature not hastily, but little by little, advancing by measured steps in the way of the virtues, not trying to fly, but climbing cautiously up the scale of perfection till at length you come to the summit of all perfection. Act always with moderation, for only the love of God knows neither measure nor moderation. And that love is nourished not by afflicting the flesh, but by holy desires and longing contemplation. We have the promise of St. Paul. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are to bear. And while we do not know this limit, it is known to God. As St. Augustine writes, I do not know which temptations I can resist and which I cannot. Even so, there is hope, for God is faithful. God is not unaware of our burdens and temptations. He sympathizes with them in every way, and he is the only one who can fulfill the longing of the heart. Thus, we cannot let ourselves be defeated when we fall. We must always and immediately turn to him with all our heart and refocus, back to prayer, back to the sacraments. And that's the fourth point, confession. It is impossible, impossible to progress anywhere in virtue without the assistance of grace. Man is incapable by his own means to achieve any level of perfection. Who then can be saved? Asked the crowd. Christ answers them, With man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible to God. If we attempt to defeat sin without God, we will always fail. But if we continually and without hesitation present ourselves to the throne of his grace in the holy sacrament of confession, then each and every fall of ours becomes a defeat of the enemy and of sin. Each of our personal sins are radically transformed in the blood of the Lord, wiped clean, and thus we progress another step up the mountain towards the truest fulfillment of our heart, which is God. Therefore, writes the author of Hebrews, let us confidently approach the throne of grace and receive mercy to find grace for timely help.